1: You have to pull my leg, you oh, come know. Come here, get over <laughs> here. All right. What'd you get for the chow line today? <laughs> oh, I, got the, I got this tray here. I got an apple. Tell me everything that's on it. It's an apple. That's all I have from the Chow line. That's all you got. <laughs> you know me. You know me too well. You know me too. Well. No, it's just an apple no, from the Chow line. For seriously, it's just an apple. I've got to worry about my diabetes and my cholesterol nowadays. All you right. Know well, you're trying to kill me. You're trying to kill me with laughter. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I'm not. It's my heart. It's my heart. It's, my heart. it's gonna. It's gonna die if I don't eat just the apple. Hey Johnny, did you see that uh, that uh, the poster? They got the uh, Betty Grable up on uh, Cell Block Eight. I did see that poster. I saw it while I was in that uh, hospital for my heart disease. <laughs> you know me, you know me. Yeah, I'm gonna eat this apple. Yeah, they got a nice new poster, and I heard they got a color TV in Cell Block Two. Hey, many colors. Many, many, many colors. They got two. <laughs> <at least, laughs> like there's colors. yellow. <laughs> like Johnny, we're talking about colors. <laughs> He's a fucking motherfucker. Over here. <laughs> there's mostly yellows. I feel like the closed circuit TV is mostly in yellow. Hey Johnny, yes. Are you happy with the, the change of the uniforms back from the orange more to this? What do you call this? New? Like, we're all stri- sitting around stripes now. We have stripes on our uniforms. No, it's, it's kind of nice. It's kinda nice, it's high contrast.
2: Fucking, this fucking, <laughs> you know fucking guy over here it's talking this
1: fucking guy say the word contrast over here. I think that's very funny. <laughs> when my child sees me, he sees the high contrast, he gets very interested. He's a, it's very good for his mental stimulation. Talk about your son. I'm talking about my son.
3: <laughs> this though, so the premise of the bit was that the prisoners in the in the prison cell have the stripes. They're striped. I feel like we have to start explaining them, though, because after, the opto- after the, let's call it, dismal failure on my part of establishing an optometrist was a 2020 vision thing. Like, it only just dawned on me today, we never say it, and it's just there. Oh, I was just you know? going with greenhorn-rimmed glasses.
1: Oh, so we weren't even on the same...
3: No. Wavelength, so... Welcome to the Third Men Podcast. This is a Jack White History Program, and I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. And I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky. We're getting better at yes-anding, but mm-hmm. we're getting worse at coming up with something that's good.
2: <laughs>
3: uh, I kind of like my crotchety little prison guy there. I'm not, I'm not sure I, what... For I a second, I didn't know we were in prison. <laughs> And yet I lived in the bit. So for a second, I also felt like I was in prison. (laughs) (laughs) This week on the show, we've got a very special one. We've got, James, sometimes we do special interviews with people. Sometimes we do album spotlights. Sometimes we do Secret Origin episodes like you did with Brendan Benson and uh, Jack Lawrence. You did those. Very nice. And then sometimes, James, we do Podcast crossovers. Now, this has happened a couple times. Yeah. It's like that one weird time where we were on serial. <laughs> right? Yeah, we were. <laughs> we were the dead ones. We have to be professional about this one because, James, today's crossover is with the official Jack White podcast that's striped the story of the White Stripes. Mm-hmm. And its host, Sean Cannon, will be joining us on the show today. It's really exciting. We heard about the show, and we were super excited to hear that Third Man Records was branching out into some more podcasts. We had known about their Third Man Books podcast, and it was cool to see a history podcast that they were coming out with that was, you know, put together by not only Sean Cannon, but Ben Blackwell, and would go into some pretty in-depth history. Paul, that's what we started this podcast for, was to learn more about this stuff. So hearing it straight from... Third Man Records is great. It's great news. When we set out to do this show, it was because nothing like it existed, and we felt that we better make something like that, because it, it'd be a good idea to have that out there in the world. And we're very happy to see that the uh, at least the White Stripes story will now be told in this way. I've listened to all of season one, really enjoyed it. The bonus episodes are great. If you haven't listened to Striped, and you want to be in the know for our discussion... Go ahead and get it, download it, listen to it. It's only like five episodes for season one and three bonus episodes. So go do that. Listen to that mm-hmm. show. Come back. You can join us for our discussion here with Sean Cannon. But we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff with Sean. We're going to talk about his career. We're going to talk about what got him into the White Stripes and uh, the the third man records world. And we're going to learn all about how this show came about. And I'm very excited about it, James. I'm excited too. I uh, can't wait to talk with Sean. And Sean's going to be... With you in the, in the meat space, Paul. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. Yeah, I think these are the first of our extended interviews where um, I will be in the flesh with the man. In the zone, we call it. Super excited to see you and Sean in the, the flesh zone, I think, we're going with. Mm-hmm. Is that what we're going with? Yeah, yeah, the flesh zone. The flesh zone. That's how I started my email. Um <laughs> Dear Mr. Cannon, would you like to join me in the flesh zone? It's super exciting. I can't wait to get to it. But, Paul, is there something that we should stop doing? James, there's something we better stop doing. It's a stop of breaking down. Stop breaking down.
1: Please
2: stop breaking down. Stop breaking down.
3: Yeah, Paul, uh, Stop Breaking Down is the segment of the show in which we've done got something wrong and we're here to correct it on this episode. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah, and so we've got one here from Luke Sinclair based on last episode's Jack Lawrence secret origin episode that you conducted, James. It's a correction from Luke where he points out that LJ did appear technically on an official White Stripes release. Mm. This was in 2005, and this is according to Luke, quoting Luke's message here. 2005, the Stripes did a 10-day tour of the UK and sold a CD after each show with that night's rendition of Denial Twist and custom Rob Jones artwork for each night. So that sounds an awful lot like what they were doing with the tours that oh, you and yes. I touched on last episode as well. And LJ played bass on November 10th's rendition of the song at the Empress Ballroom, the same venue as uh, under blackpool lights which is cool and that has jack white on marimba and then uh, as luke points out the racks did a similar thing there so that's uh that's interesting i didn't i feel like i didn't know that like i didn't know that the stripes did that too for the live stuff i you know we knew about the racks but yeah i had no idea we we haven't gone a lot into white stripes tours uh we did elephant yeah, we've done a few racks ones, but uh, yeah, we'll have to get back and do more of those. You know, frankly, James, our guest on the show this week, has already told us through his podcast an awful lot about mm. that first album's tour, and uh, again, a plug for that show. Interesting stuff there. I just want to add a little addendum. He didn't appear in an official studio release, whereas sure. Dead Weather, and Tours, and Solo, he was a member of the musical accompaniment on all of those studio albums so yeah that's worth an addendum it's it's a, a dendish it's a dendish and James in addition to our stop breaking down this week I'd also like to take us on over to a little place that I like to call the kinky corner Paul should we move on to that kinky little corner <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm a seeker too.
1: I can't help thinking somewhere in the universe there has to be something better than that.
2: There's gotta be an answer. You may not like what you find. Just getting the kinks out. All right, all right, come on
3: James, welcome to the kinky corner, where you and I talk a little bit about the kinks for like a minute. <laughs> Oh, cool. You guys will listen to this Jack White History Podcast for this, right? I'm really interested in finding out more about the kinks, though. I really am. Yeah, people uh, who listened to last episode, the spotlight we did on Jack Lawrence, uh, will hear a gratuitous amount of Ape Man, which up love, until, you know. Love Ape Man. Actually, up until and including this very moment is my favorite kinks song. Maybe, maybe just my favorite song. I just really it love that It could be song. my favorite song of all time at this point. So anyway, we also got a note here from Luke Sinclair about the Kinks. And he gave us some album recommendations, James. So we're going to put this on the air here. We're going to tell people, hey, everybody listen to the Kinks. We're going to do it too. We're going to treat this like a book club where no one talks about anything afterwards. (laughs) Luke says, all their 60s albums are top-notch, particularly 1966's Face to Face and onwards. His personal recommendations are the self-titled Kinks album and the album Face to Face, Arthur or Village Green or something else or face-to-face he recommends for the Now Hear This podcast, which I might have to pitch to my co-host there, Ryan Brady, our and Cousin podcast. Mm. James, do you have any kinky facts for a kinky corner? Oh, boy. Uh, let me look I'm up. I'm just going to Google weird kinks. Uh, nope. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> <gasps> Ray Davies had an affair with Chrissy Hynde of The Pretenders. And, hey, here's a relevant one to the show we're doing. Early names for the band included The Ravens and The Bow Weevils. The Bow Weevils, eh? The Bow Weevils. Wow. That's a kinky fact. We did it. We connected the kinky dots. James, I will be expecting something extremely kinky for you next week. Paul, when performing Father Christmas ray davies in the kinks would often wear a santa costume live quote when the record came out we were on tour with a very successful band at the time supporting them and i went on dressed as santa at the end of the show to do father christmas and the other band found it hard to follow us let's get in kinkier. the kinks didn't do an encore but santa claus was there and they were stopping him from going on stage well that's a little bit better <laughs> getting kinkier all right this has been another (laughs) exciting edition of the kinky
2: corner all
3: right james let's get into this interview what do you say (laughs)
2: let's
3: get to this interview is off to a great start we'd like to welcome that's what edits are for <laughs> we would like to welcome host of the striped podcast sean cannon to the show sean thank you so much for joining us today <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, uh, thank you thank you thank you yes i'm happy to be here was that an audience cheering or uh, someone d- yeah. enjoying a delicious beverage
0: <laughs> i think it's a little bit of both
2: <laughs>
3: okay Sean is here to tell us about how the Striped podcast, which is, of course, the official White Stripes history podcast that was launched last year, how that came about. Uh, give us some some insider stories, perhaps, on that, some background, some special features. Oh, I'm a junkie for those special features. Mmm, I love them. Maybe some tips into how to get in good with Ben.
0: I was going to ask you guys for tips on how to get in good with Ben. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, Sean, James and I love the show. We do. Oh. We love it. Come on. Thank you for doing it.
0: Here's what I'll say. I was deathly afraid that people who were big fans of, of the third man oeuvre and yeah. and the White Stripes music would just hate every bit of it and just shit on it. Um, <laughs> because, I like well, for a lot of reasons. Obviously, anytime you put something out into the world, you're a little... You know, you're a little scared of how people might receive it, especially if it's something that, you know, feels like your baby. Yeah. But but then there's also the fact that, like, I'll be honest, I've been a White Stripes fan for a long time, but I was not a super fan. Like, I knew the general contours of their story, and I had a lot of the records, and not just their records, but, you know, some of the third man stuff. But I had not read the books, you know. I'd only seen It Might Get Loud, like, one half of one (laughs) times. Uh, And so... I was a little scared that people would think me a charlatan ah, Paul
3: and I had a similar kind of feeling when we started our thing too, uh, mostly because we started this because we had no idea about any of the nitty gritty and we are charlatans yeah we we knew the we knew the <laughs> like you said the bare bones we had the records we were like obsessive fans, but not to you know to a certain point and but we were like we don 't know any of the history. And, you know, we grew up with a father who cataloged Beatles history to the day. Like, we knew what Paul McCartney was smoking on any particular day. Like, and, and then we we're like, well, what's, what's Jack doing? And we're like, well, he claims to have been in a band with his sister and they were ma- like, we, we barely knew any of yeah. the, the nitty gritty kind of stuff. And so that's why we were trying to dig deep into the history. And your show is digging deep into that history and it's doing a damn good job.
0: Well, yeah, I really, I really appreciate that. and I'm glad that. You guys are fans. I mean, I've read all the reviews, so I've seen all the all the bad ones. And I, I try to ignore that. You know, they say don't read the comments. I actually love to read the comments. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Uh, it's very fun. Mm-hmm. Particularly that one guy who was like, "Oh, it just looks like this dude pretends to stumble through the script when he already knows what he's gonna say." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's a good it's, it's Yeah, you got me. All right,
3: well, there we go." Well, see, I like that. It gives it a personal touch. It, it's uh, it feels conversation. Even though you're reciting a history, not even reciting, it feels like we're around a campfire and you're telling the tale of the peppermint children. You know,
0: I do, and that's that's the vibe that I'm trying to create: is not make it a formal thing, not make it um, something dry, and also make it something that is true to me and my my own personality. And really, to be honest, I I don't script out every single word. (laughs) You asshole. (laughs) It's more like a uh, Larry listening. the
3: David, Larry David, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's called Larry David, Larry the David guy, which is <laughs> not good. Um, the beer's getting in my head already. Uh, <laughs> the- James, we've talked about this. You, you can't get blacked out drunk on shows anymore, okay? <laughs> Look, it worked with Johnny Walker. We talked about wasps for a solid hour. Um, <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> he had a wasp infestation. James animated the segment
0: of conversation we did. It's really great. How we- long ago was that? Last year, I want to Last say year, yeah, was that in his house or in the studio, yeah, it was on his roof, <laughs> oh
3: okay, yeah, he said the key to it was going out at night under moonlight and then shining a light in, at them and then suddenly turning off the light and they're blinded
0: what is this is this a re- is that like really how you deal with it? I'm gonna have to text him and and see if that actually worked or if he's blowing smoke he I, I believe both I mean well, I he probably also did think blow he smoke was... that is one way to take care of <laughs> Of, uh, of bees. As you blow some, you, you. He was
3: incredibly, um, I want to say, intoxicated at the time. He had just played a show, and so he yeah. was also very tired. Anyway, before we uh, get too far down the rabbit hole of Johnny Walker and Striped and all that stuff, we'll start with our first question here. Ben Blackwell on the show, and I thought this was interesting, you know, he spent the majority of the first season on 1999. Ben Blackwell called that a bedrock year for the band. What was Sean Cannon? Doing in 1999? What were the bands?
0: What were the songs? What were you up to? So, this is weird. Uh, I mean, I was aware of the White Stripes, obviously, yeah. in high school, but clearly 1999, not. You know, I, I was mm-hmm. in—I was a freshman in high school. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I was a Christian rock kid. Oh, okay. But not the way most people think, not with, Ooh. like, the bad stuff. No judgment. No judgment. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, yes, I knew who Audio Adrenaline was, but, like, I, <laughs> I wasn't taking a free ride with them. What happened with me, though, is this is, like, a weird thing where, you know, you talk to a lot of folks who were raised in church and who listened to a lot of Christian music and, you know, their parents wouldn't let them listen to secular music, and then, like, man, and I finally got away from that shit, and I was able to find good music. But for me, weirdly, that introduced me to all the cool music that I ended up falling in love with because there were a bunch of like underground indie Christian bands that I some some of which I still listen to. That's great to this day. Yeah. So that's what I was doing: burning all of my secular music. <laughs> and here's the other thing: my parents. It's not that they were. Irreligious, but they were kind of like, whatever, I don't care. I got really into it outside of them. Then, when I started burning my records, they're like, w- We paid money for that. I'm like, what a job. I earned this money myself. No, you didn't. So, it was a weird thing where I was burning my secular music and praising the Lord. And that was my rebellion against my parents. Wow. Okay. That's quite a rebellion.
3: Yeah, isn't it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, you and I are the same age.
3: Oh, really? I was okay. A yeah. in high school 1999 as well. James, what were you up to in 1999? Oh shit, was I probably drawing drawn comics. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know what you were doing in 1999. And the Lord saw that too. <laughs> I was drawing dumb dumb comics dreaming of doing what I'm doing now,
0: which is drawing dumb comics. It's fine. <laughs> yeah.
3: When did the White Stripes pop up on your radar then?
0: I mean, you know, around that time, I was mostly, again, listening to, like, Christian rock, yeah, yeah. but but starting to venture back into the real world, you know, I was probably fell in love with a girl, was when it really took hold. Like, I might have heard Dead Leaves before that, yeah. you know, but you know how that goes, like, you hear a song and it doesn't, it doesn't, like, click, right? and then you hear the next song from the record, or maybe even sometimes you just hear that song again in a different context. And so yeah, for me it was it was fell in love with a girl was where it happened, which I I would assume is where it happened for a (laughs) Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Like a lot of people who were around at a certain age at that point. Yeah. And I just remember thinking you know, I grew up in the middle of nowhere and I was always fascinated by this phenomenon of like the internet hadn't completely taken hold, so you couldn't just research whatever you wanted and find it. Mm. And even once the internet did take hold, like 2000, 2001, 2002, right around there, when you could search stuff, you still couldn't find a lot of stuff. And you you oftentimes would just ask yourself, am I imagining this? Did this really happen? And then especially when you grow up in the middle of nowhere and you're into weird stuff, but no one else you know is, you're like, (laughs) am I imagining this? And you're like, yeah, you probably (laughs) fucking are. (laughs) And so one of the things that I always loved about you know, music and what it represented to me from a very early age, from the first time I saw the So What You Want video as like a four or five year old, whatever that would have been, maybe I was six. As you know, the Beastie Boys had this thing even before sabotage and all the crazy video yeah. stuff, where it just felt like they created an entire world and they inhabited that world and you couldn't see the whole world, but you could tell that there was an entire earth there, like that there was a map and and you only saw this continent but you're like, I gotta find out what's on all these other continents, and that was the thing that really appealed to me about the White Stripes is when they burst out onto the scene, it was very clear that there was like something else there besides just the songs and the music, and you wonder genuinely like, have they been around for 40 years, because it kind (laughs) of feels like it but obviously they don't look that old but I don't know, there's no way to tell right. I have
3: two things to say to that. One, you've just triggered two things in my memory of that exact feeling. One, I saw the Fantastic Four 1970s cartoon early in the morning one, one time when I was very young and went, is this real? Am I dreaming this? Did I imagine <laughs> that this happened? It's bad. And also, it, I never saw it again until the internet, you know, kind of came in.
0: I had a cousin who had a bootleg of that. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you can. We'll talk more about that in a second. You can finish okay. number two. Uh, two. I
3: also saw the white stripes. I think it was the my doorbell. No, Blue Orchid video. I believe the the one where that's in a theater. Paul is with the magic. Is that Blue Orchid? Is that my doorbell? The doorbell. Doorbell. Okay, but it was on MTV. Like, and I watched it before school, and I was I couldn't possibly find that ever again. You know, it it was to a point where like video on the internet was still. Um, an entire AOL loading screen away. You've just triggered two memories in me with just that alone. Then my second point was that the White Stripes were kind of built on that of, have these guys existed forever? And the mystery of it is what kind of leads you into exploring the band a little bit more. Like I said before, the brother-sister act, the the red-white you know, color scheme, it adds to what is this all about? And you want to look into it. You want to kind of get more of it. And Jack and Meg are extremely good at hiding that, which is why they've never released an official biography kind of until your show.
0: Yeah, and I mean even then, you know, again, like the the big thing, and I, I actually like this about it, is, you know, they've said their piece. And so they're not directly involved in the podcast. And I, I genuinely – you know, there are some people who I've talked to who are like, oh, well, what's the point in even doing it? And it's like, well, because there's still a story to be told. Right. And the other thing I like about it is it continues to trade on that mystique that they've built up. Because like you were talking about, you find out about them you know, in the early aughts and you flip out because they're so good and so weird and you don't understand what's going on. But you really want to understand what's going on and then you try, but you still can't. There's still it's still there's, the information's still not there, and then you hear rumors from your friends because they get so big that even the friends who aren't into weird stuff also like them because they see it. They see you know, especially the fell in love with the girl video, like on MTV over and over and over again, and it becomes a sensation. And like they are telling you stories and like, was well, that is that true? I don't know if that's true. I can't tell. And that's like part of what makes discovering things like this and owning things like this in that in that really personal way is so important, it's something that we've lost a lot of. And I really like the fact that similar, you know, to when you see Bob Dylan documentaries or you read the liner notes for all the bootleg series, you've read the books, you've seen the stories, and you can say to yourself, I know the definitive story of what happened, but you're never gonna hear it from Bob Dylan, so do you really? <laughs> <laughs> It adds a little mystique Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and the thing that I love about the White Stripes Is that mystique And so being able to continue that on While still telling their story Laying that narrative bare While also still allowing for that mystique to exist Because, you know, they are the last band To really have that kind of mystique There aren't bands after them that did it Whether those bands didn't try to or whatever You know Maybe three, four, five years after the White Stripes broke, some bands could have kept doing that, but none of them did. And now, if a band gets huge, there's, that doesn't, it's not possible. Billie Eilish,
3: I think, is capturing that for some people right now. Mm. There's, she is purposefully, and I think that might be why Jack is attracted to her as an act, is that she is purposefully withholding, in a similar way the White Stripes did, in her case, sort of her body and, and, and other right. aspects of, of, uh, Of her career, but I think maybe if I had to guess—and again, this is just me supposing—I would say that maybe Jack is drawing a parallel to to, to the kind of stuff he was doing. Because we're in an age of oversharing, you know, we're in an age of everyone knows everything all the time. So it's been interesting to see what happens when you say to somebody, "You can't know that,"
0: right? And (laughs) that's—and the thing about her is, you know, the thing about the White Stripes is they created a very specific world, but she doesn't necessarily do that. The fascination is just. There's nothing. Right. <laughs> yeah. And we're not used to that anymore. Right. right. And so that's the I like that's an interesting parallel that I hadn't thought about. But there is still that difference of like the attributive nature of them actually making this world and then you can't find out right. which parts of it are real or you can't see the whole world that they've made. They're never gonna show you the backside of it, is still different than the sort of subtractive nature of I'm just not gonna tell you about this stuff. Yeah. Right, I have, like, I haven't, you know, you know, like, it's, it's, a, it's a, but that is still interesting, and I mean, I love Billie Eilish for a lot of those reasons, and I haven't really thought about the fact that she maybe is, you know, the first big star in this age that could be, I don't know, could be pointing us back in that direction. You know, the pendulum might be swinging back that way. Obviously, there will still be plenty of big stars posting Instagram rants and complaining about bad pitchfork reviews, you know. Like that will probably still keep happening, but maybe she's helping to create a space for people to just say I don't know, I want to make this music and I can be whatever character I want to be and I don't uh, I can just leave it at that. Yeah. And fans can take it at that. Like that's hmm food for thought right there. I'm going to have to write a think piece about this. <laughs> I'm going to have to pitch some editors. <laughs> Before I ask the next question, I just want to say whatever
3: Third Man Records person is writing their Instagram posts and choosing the fact that they are just posting mean shit when they see it just because they find it funny, uh, I love that. <laughs> and I hope they keep doing that. Like, if it's Jack, keep going. It's the best. Anyway, so you started out as the podcast guy, quote unquote, for Louisville Public Media. Do you want to uh, take us on a journey from what that was like up until the Peabody Award? Was it a career trajectory or was it more of just kind of happy accidents and opportunities happening?
0: Yes. Um, <laughs> what, what, what I what I mean to say is my wife recently went – she's a teacher. She went to a, a – Seminar. there was like the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and you know they're talking about the bedrock of that is having a mantra. And she was like, "A mantra? Hmm. You have a mission statement. What is? What is? I don't. What's my mission statement? I was like, e- That's easy. Everybody has a mission statement. You just don't always articulate. It. She's like, Oh yeah. What's yours? <laughs> and I am like, Well, it's do cool shit. And, just, and then she she looked at me dead eyed and was like, Oh yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and so that's always sort of been my operating principle, which has gotten me in trouble sometimes because I, you know, could have like done work that paid me money, um, <laughs> like real serious money. Uh, but instead, I'm doing stuff that I enjoy and making a living at it. But you know, I'm not like rolling around in my roles, which I, I don't know. I guess I could be. <laughs> uh, it's not Eagle Rock money, right? It's not. <laughs> keep keep up the mystique, Sean. We. <laughs> Um, But, I mean, basically what happened was I, as a 20-year-old, got a job working at a tiny newspaper because I was the only person who knew how to use Photoshop. (laughs) Wow. And um, at that place, I was a copy editor and and I laid out pages as a paginator and, uh, you know, would write some a little bit, take photos, whatever. It's a small shop. It's that kind of a thing where you do a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. but because of the nature of the schedule, I would have like four hours a day where I didn't have to do anything. Because uh, we were there in the evenings. so it's like right when everyone's leaving work, you got a ton of work to do. Yeah. And then right before press time, you got a ton of work to do. And that period in the middle, eh. And so this was right around the time that music blogs were becoming a thing, and I got hooked up with a guy who was running a music blog that was relatively successful at the time. And you know, he's like, oh, you know how to do all this stuff and, you know, actual journalism. And I was like, well, I mean, I work at a newspaper. I guess that counts. And uh, so I just started doing that and I was, you know, doing the music blog thing and that did all right. From there, I got a job working for AOL back when they did music stuff. I was the deputy editor of their metal site because that was cool. Yeah. You know, and I like I could do that remotely. So I live in Louisville and you don't find many large corporations offering jobs to people in the middle of nowhere. So right. did that for a while and then kind of got hooked up just being active in the, in the music scene in Louisville with all the people at uh, WFPK, which is the music station at Louisville public media. Cause they've got three, I'm going to bore you guys now with the, with the real shit. we're going to get in the weeds. Louisville public <laughs> media is, uh, is, is an interesting public radio organization because they have three radio stations in the same building, but just for the singular city. If you know anything about public radio, Minnesota Public Radio has that, but that's for the whole state. It's more like what New York Public Radio has with WNYC and right. WQXR. They're a classical station. But this is uh, NPR News, classical, and then one of the coolest indie rock stations in the United States. Uh, and I don't say that because I used to work there. It it legitimately is. You know, they broke... now I'm not... I'm. I'll plead the fifth as far as my opinion on this, but <laughs> but they broke the Lumineers, they broke Mumford and Sons, they broke Fun, they broke uh, several other bands. I was involved in some of those and and not involved in the others. But you know, kind of a big deal. And yeah. just being active in the music scene in Louisville, I met a bunch of folks there, and they would always be like, Man, you should like come and work here. Like just, you know, just come in and hang out and maybe do some stuff. And, like, uh, you know, maybe you could be a fill-in DJ, but I was working at AOL, and then all of a sudden I wasn't working at AOL, and I was like, okay, I'll I'll come and be on the radio. And so that's how that happened, but I was just a DJ on Mm -hmm. the radio, and that's when podcasts were kind of starting to pop off, and I was doing all these interviews on the radio, and what I never realized was that I was good at it. (laughs) And what I mean to say is like I was doing, you know, like some freelance writing and would have like stuff on whatever various websites or magazines. And the editors would always be like, "Wait, where's the quote about the tour? Where's the quote about the record? I'm like, I don't know. I just had a really good conversation with this person. (laughs) You know, they weren't looking for those like New Yorker style 5000 word profiles where you dig into the soul of somebody. But I was having those conversations to one extent or another
2: right.
0: You know, they, not everyone was bearing their soul to me But then I started doing it on the radio And I realized, oh, oh, I just didn't know Where to do this stuff It's not that I was bad at it I just didn't know the right place The right outlet for it It's called, yeah, ahead of your time <laughs> Right, yeah, that? that's true I mean, hey, the AV club did call me ahead of my ahead of, <laughs> The quote is, ahead of his time So I'm just like, that's a, that's, a, that's a good point Um <laughs> So anyway, I was doing that and, and just got really into that and had, you know, digital media skills, digital media savvy. And so as the radio organization kept doing more and more podcast stuff, you know, whenever there was a project, people would just be like, hey, Sean, what's uh, what's the deal with this? Uh, what should we do here? How can we do that? And, you know, I would just lend my uh, expertise.
2: Mm. And
0: then the managing editor, to make it even more complicated, of the nonprofit investigative center that is part of Louisville Public Media. A fourth entity, there are six entities inside Louisville Public Media, uh, came to me and was like, I got this story, and I need to make sure we do, like, the rollout on it right and get all the, like, social media stuff and the website and all that right. And I asked him what the story was, and he told me, and I'm like, wait, what are you guys, are you, what are you doing with this now? And he, he laid out his plan, and I'm like, well, what we really need to do with this story is turn it into a podcast, like a big one. <laughs> it's like, you know, like... Dirty John. And he's like, oh, really? like, yeah, and here's how we'll do it. So I laid out the whole plan, and we did it. And, I mean, I'm not going to take credit for the reporting, because I didn't do that. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm I'm not trying to say it's because of me, but the team did it well. We put it out into the world, and we won a Peabody Award for it. And I'm not going to tell you any of the details of it. I'll just say it's called The Pope's Long Con. (laughs) And you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. I'd go into the story, because it is... A hell of a story, but I'm just going to leave it there and let okay. let, uh, let you, dear listener, uh, decide where and when to hear the story for yourself. You will not be disappointed. Here to
3: accept the Peabody Award is Laura Ellis.
2: We want to thank
0: Miranda Richmond for trusting us with her story. We're a nonprofit
2: newsroom, which means everyone does multiple jobs, so I want to quickly thank our team. Steven George, Erica Peterson, Alexandra Kanek, Kate Howard, Eleanor Glibanoff, and especially R.G. Dunlop. With me here is Brendan McCarthy, who edited, Sean Cannon, creative director, and Jake Ryan, who spent almost a year reporting the story. And I'm Laura Ellis, the producer. Thank you so much for this honor.
0: Again, I can say that and brag on it because I'm not the only person who was responsible for it. And the parts that were good were the parts that, like, not, not my parts, but the actual reporting, the reportage, as it were. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, that's that. And, you know, at that time, too, I was doing a, a syndicated radio show called The Guest List where I was interviewing yeah. a bunch of people who uh, kind of went across the pop culture spectrum.
3: Well, let's talk about that next, because I listened to your Weird Al interview, which, which was awesome. You know, James and I are both huge Weird Al fans. Let's talk about Guest List, how it kind of got rolling. It seems like, you know, it's been sort of a uh, a project that has perhaps evolved to... Fit your ever-growing schedule It sounds like
0: but. Yeah, yeah Well, I actually You know, I, I, I Sadly put it to bed Earlier this year ah. Or, well, last year Because it's 2020 yeah, now The last
3: one we saw Was the Weird Al one Yeah,
0: so. yeah I mean, it was a good one To go out on It is on, It's a good one um, Because I was Working on so many other projects And I loved it But I It's not gone forever Okay It's just I gotta figure out See When and how to do it again and And part of that too Yeah, exactly It's like has it morphed and changed into stuff that was, you know, still long, rambling conversations at times, but then other times, much more highly edited with high production value. And so, right. I'll have some time to do something like that again. But it was the best education that I could have as far as like producing audio and and doing the work that like is now going into Striped. And the Weird Al one, by the way, is the only interview that I've ever done where my family is like, oh. <laughs> you don't. You didn't lie to us You actually do interview famous people <laughs> oh, uh, not, that, not that I Describe my job as that Just to be clear <laughs> but when your family Is not into these things and doesn't really Care you, you know it's like I don't know I interview people that you don't care About or know about and it's like <laughs> okay. maybe they're Kind of well known they're sort of famous So when I sent them a picture of Me and Weird Al my brother <laughs> Flipped out and my mom was like oh wow And then when I went home yeah you know, my mom runs a restaurant and she likes to make sure everyone that all the regulars that eat at this diner are well informed of my endeavors. Yeah. Uh for years they would say oh so you interview famous people like who and I would just <laughs> rattle off names and I would see this blank stare and then I'd try to explain to them, like, you know, the guy from Training Day? No, not Denzel, but the other guy. And they'd be like, well, I know that movie. And I'd be like, well, uh, the Lord of the Rings guy? Do you know that? And like, well, I mean, I've heard of Lord of the Rings. I'm like, nuts. Like, and then at a certain point, they would just give me this, it, it would go from a blank stare to, like, a almost an angered grimace and a furrowed brow, where I could see in their head they were thinking... They fucking lied to me. This guy doesn't interview famous people. He just interviews nobodies. But then that time I got to go back and be like, yeah, I interviewed Weird Al. And everybody yeah. in the restaurant was like, oh, my God. You interviewed Weird Al? Oh, man, When
3: you see the angered grimace, it's time to abort. Just I get mean, out of yeah. there. It
0: was, even, it was even like, oh, I interviewed one of the kinks. And everybody's like, I don't, what? And I'm like, you know, you really got me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I know that song.
3: <laughs> we just went into a kinks tirade on a previous episode because me and Paul don't have as much of a... Um, of a knowledge of the Kinks as possible, but we did learn that we both love the song "Ape Man" quite a bit. Oh, uh,
0: Ape Man! I'm ape- a real ape man. Oh yeah. Oh baby. Oh, it's, we've it's we've started a new good. feature on the show. It's called
3: the Kinky Corner, where we uh, yeah. exchange kink facts, and uh, it gets it gets gross.
0: I mean, I I love Ape Man, but it's not my favorite Kinks song about a giant monkey. Late <laughs> it on on it's, it's King le- yeah. King Kong. in there and the guitar work is oh that's such a good that's such a good song the kinks are the best i know you guys like the beatles but i like the kinks better i'm just gonna be honest about that
3: how does it feel being in this kinky corner with us
0: it's good and i probably in (laughs) retrospect shouldn't say that when we're literally sitting in a corner uh yeah no i i i I absolutely love the kinks so for me interviewing dave davies was like a highlight uh, of my life yeah. Um that was really cool. That didn't that's not part of the guest list, but that was like just mind-blowing. I don't really right. get starstruck very often and I don't know that I would say I was starstruck, but still every once in a while sitting across from him, I would just think to myself, that's one of the kinks. Yeah. Like, that's, <laughs> that's the guy right there. That's the dude who invented rock and roll guitar right. in terms of like that sound right, that right. Uh, you know, not like I'm not saying that Link Ray or <laughs> Ike Turner did, you know, like I'm not I'm not trying to get into a debate about the first guitar that had distortion on it, but I'm saying that the sound that people think of especially in the 60s when they think of like rock guitar, distorted rock music guitar, that's that's him, and I was like, "Wow, that's the guy. He's sitting right here." And then he's like, "Hey, you want to take a picture?" And I was like, "Nah, that's cool." <laughs> and, then, and then he's like, "Nah, come on, but Weird Al, you are all right with." Well, no, that's the thing. I, I've only so I've only <laughs> ever taken pictures with two people that I've interviewed. Dave Davies was one, and it was both for the same reasons. Like, I this is gonna. I'm just I'm just gonna be frank. I'm gonna sound like an asshole talking about this, and then we can get back to the White Stripes. <laughs> um, but I lived it. Yeah. I, don't, I don't, like, the, you know, taking a picture is cool, but, like, I don't necessarily need that, but also it's a professional yeah. thing. Like, you're there with these people doing your job, they're doing their job, and, I right. mean, I experienced it. I don't have to, like, shout it from the rooftops to everybody else to, like, brag on myself, but Dave Davies was like, yeah, come on, get a picture, because I think with him, people, he knows that everybody's going to, like, ask for one, right. so it's just part of the process like you, we did the interview now you're happy that you got to meet a kink and take a picture with me so I was like nah that's okay and his manager's like no he really doesn't care it's okay thinking that I didn't want to inconvenience him but it was really more like you know like I appreciated being there it meant a lot but I don't need a picture to relive it uh, and so then, at a certain point, it was if I say no or keep fighting, I'm going to look like the asshole. He's like, no man, Dave Davies, you're lame. I wanted yeah. to talk to your brother. You suck. Uh, please don't take no one. No one cut that clip out and post that on the internet because I love Dave Davies. Just to, just to be clear, I'm, I'm you know like I don't I don't want to create the wrong impression. It's the same thing with Weird Al. He is obviously a guy where every time anyone sees him, they want a picture. Right. Yeah, and so once we finished up the interview, he's like, "All right, time for a picture." And that's exactly <laughs> what happened, and I was, and you know I said, uh, no, that's okay." He's like, "No, really, it's it's cool. We can we can do a picture," and ag- and again you know either i just come across as a, as an asshole by saying no i don't want a picture with you weird Al. or i do what i'm doing now and bore him to death by telling about like about this philosophy that i have i'm like nah, it's cool i don't need a picture right, because man. of this and this and this and so you i've already scared away 95% of your listeners doing this so just think about how weird Al would feel if i if i did it to him then he'd be like he would grab my recorder and just throw it on the ground and stomp on it i'm like not again how does it
3: feel living inside a Monty Python sketch?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. That's uh, it's,
0: it's all right, I guess.
3: <laughs> Paul and I struggle with, with that anytime we meet any of our, you know, interviewees or, you know, people we go to see bands. And, and the song that always kind of rings true to us is, specifically, The White Stripes, is the song Take, 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 which, uh, you know, is about, you know, constantly saying, that's all that I need. You know, I just needed to see him. Oh, I just needed to talk to him. Oh, I just needed a picture. Oh, I just needed, you know, a, a memento, a souvenir. Oh, I just needed a lock of your hair. You know, it just, it never right. ends. And so me and Paul try to be very conscious of that when we meet people. And I think that's a good kind of philosophy in general. You know, they're, they're people and they don't necessarily need it. So I respect your philosophy is what I'm trying to say, Sean.
0: Well, to be clear, too, I'm not like uh talking shit on people who like to take pictures oh we'll be getting one after Uh, that. yeah so So it's not it's (laughs) not it's not that i it's not that i think you're dumb if you do it it's just like (laughs) not a thing that matters to me now obviously there is the practical aspect of interrupting someone's day if you just see them on the street and asking them for a picture which is a little much some people are cool with it and they're like yeah of course yeah you know uh, a friend of mine knows a relatively well-known comedian whose name I won't mention because this now really is starting to sound like a name-droppy thing to to do, but whatever. (laughs) But, you know, they were like, yeah, we walked one block at South by Southwest and it took an hour and a half because he was perfectly happy to talk to everybody and take a picture with everybody and do anything anyone asked. Some people are totally cool with that, but I know most people are just like, I do my thing and I'll appreciate it if you come up to me and say, hey, I'm a fan, But, like, that's it. I just want to live my life. And so I come down way on one side of the spectrum, which is I don't need pictures. I don't need to remember it. I f***ing lived it. Uh, (laughs) Well, William Shatner uh, did not appreciate my advances. (laughs) Um, But that's one where it's almost like if you see William Shatner, you're like, who's going to believe this? We were boarding a plane. Oh,
1: yeah.
3: (laughs) The f***ing episode. Here,
1: quickly. On the plane? Yeah, there's a man out there. What? With the Twilight yeah, Zone?
0: No, See, that's the one.
3: I mean, <laughs> I, I, and when Bill told me to fuck off, he didn't tell me to fuck off, but his eyes said, off. Uh, I right off. Uh, sure, but, uh, but you know, Paul, your to. your mistake, your mistake was saying, I know you from shit my dad says. <laughs> yeah, right, Bill, I love your work in miscongeniality too.
0: Oh, those fan. tech wars books were amazing. Well, actually, he probably would He probably would be very, very happy if you said that.
3: James, can you put tech wars reference on the leaderboard, please? You're the
0: guy who taught me Esperanto. <laughs> Man, you don't hear many references to Esperanto these days. You really. T- <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, this
1: oh, is good. This, this is, is good.
3: Yeah. Also, Sean, I want to say uh, in guest list. I know we were talking about that ages ago, but. In Guest List, uh, in that Weird (laughs) Al interview (laughs) specifically, you asked him a question and he was talking about uh, uh, how he wanted to make sure he got a little edgier after he had kids. Oh, right. (laughs) And you asked him, well, normally I would expect that from somebody in like a, a rock and roll group and not necessarily parody." And you were saying exactly what I was thinking at the time. And so I just want to say <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. You really did step in for the, uh, the listener uh, at the moment. So thank you for that. It was, it was very good. Also, that interview is great. Uh, like, seriously, thank it's you. so good.
0: That was actually one of my favorites because, you know, I – most of the people that I would interview for the guest list are people who I know well yeah. uh, because I'm a fan. And so I've read all the interviews. Uh, you know, like, I just soak up information because I don't sleep. And so, you know, you open up one interview with somebody, and before you know it, you have 17 Wikipedia tabs open. <laughs> because, like, what else am I going to do? It's it's Tuesday night at 3 a.m. What am I going to do? Right. Like, go to bed? No. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and also, like, you know, over the years, you just pick up knowledge. And I'm one of those people that just can reach, you know, I was a four-time... Uh, MVP of the Limestone Academic League, <laughs> if that tells you the kind of apple that I am. So, like, I have a lot of this information, but one of the things with Weird Al that I didn't realize in that interview, he talks about how, you know, I knew UHF set his career back because that's common knowledge, but what I didn't mm-hmm. know was that Orion, I think it was Orion Pictures, the movie tested so well during test screenings that they bumped it up to be their summer blockbuster that was going to be their next Robocop. Yeah. Like, obviously not the same kind of movie, but they thought it was going to be a huge movie... And they were telling him, like, you're going to be the next Woody Allen. In hindsight, good thing he wasn't. Um, But the the point was, they were like, you're going to be a huge movie star making comedies, making a movie a year for the rest of your life. You're going to be, like, the biggest star. And then the movie did not do that well. Didn't it go up against (laughs) Batman? Yeah, yeah, that's the whole thing. It's like, there's a lot of reasons why it didn't do well. Um, I mean, I don't know who they had in those test screenings. I love that movie, but it is not... The, it is Maybe they thought, I don't even know, maybe that was going to be like The Jerk, yeah. you know, where it's that kind of thing that is so bizarre and offbeat full of non sequiturs that even the squares are like, huh, <laughs> the absurdity in this actually appeals to me because I can't figure it out. A Twinkie Wiener
3: sandwich really does mean <laughs> more to me than my office job. And then the the office worker strips off his tie. I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming that's the kind of square that
0: would be watching this. Y-
1: yes. You get to drink from the fire
0: But That was one of the cool things. Like that's one of the reasons why that was a really cool interview for me. Is like getting to learn that myself, and obviously being able to share that. That's like that's the thing I loved about it was. You know, I would I would try to be present and that's again part of the whole like don't take pictures is like just be here. Yeah. Be in the moment. And so I would, you know, try to be there and share a moment with somebody and then like you have like it's humbling to then think like, Oh, I have I have the ability to turn around and like share that moment with other people and like what you guys are talking about where, you know, I ask a question <laughs> that is exactly what you're thinking. Yeah. And and it's 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 that kind of shared human experience that's like really made me enjoy doing that. And, like, things like doing an interview with Andrew W.K. in a van in a strip club parking lot. <laughs> like, you know, that, was, that was also fun. You think that's the weird part, but it's not. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know, Paul was just in the
3: kinky corner with you, and he had a ball gag and an ape <laughs> mask, so
0: well, you know that's that's not that weird, hey now, let's not kink shame okay? yeah let's ch- <laughs> let's not kink shame yes. uh, but uh, well so i'm i'll I'll give a little bit of background there. There was a music festival being held at the worst of all of the strip clubs in the Louisville metro area. It's the place that when you say I'm going, like, I don't go to strip clubs, but when you say, oh, I'm going to the Rustic Frog, people give you that reviled look. You know, usually (laughs) it's like a disapproving look of, oh, a strip club. But this is the one where they go, oh, God, you, oh, just go to this one or 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 this one. one." (laughs) So they had a music festival there. Warrant was the headliner. Classic. But the band opening up for Warrant during this festival was Andrew W.K. Solo. Wow. So it was that one where he just went out and like sang to t- backing tracks. <laughs> and there was like a dude in the background who was like the dancing guy from the Boss Tones, just like his hype man. And so we were going to do an interview afterward. And there, you know, in the green room, the music was too loud. So he was like, Well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, we can get in the van and like drive to the other side of the building. I was like, Okay, cool. And I was like, have you ever played a show at a strip club before? He's like, oh, this is a strip club. I didn't even go inside because it was an outdoor festival. He's like, I didn't even go inside. I didn't even know. I just thought this was like a concert hall or something. So we get in the van. He gets in the front seat. I get behind him. And we drive around to the other side of the parking lot where it's dark. It's like at this point midnight. There aren't any street lights around. Sure. So we're just sitting in pitch black. In a strip club parking lot. The Rusty Frog? Yes, the Rustic Frog. <laughs> the Rustic Frog. Okay. Uh, of the Rustic Frog. Uh-huh. And uh, it is you know it is not only not a reputable location, <laughs> but uh, as far as the business, the establishment, but it is not a reputable location. It's like one of those that's a little off the beaten path. Like it's surrounded by wooded areas. Yeah, sure. So it's midnight, no lights, in a parking lot totally dark <laughs> you hear the sound of a f- fly unzipping <laughs> yeah uh, I mean he's it's, it's had that kind of vibe where you're like is someone gonna come out and murder me so you know Andrew WK is sitting in the front I'm sitting in the back I get out my interview kit and I'm waiting for him to like get in the back to sit across from me so he can do this interview which is fine you know then he just says Aren- aren't you gonna hand me the microphone I'm like, oh okay so I give him his microphone and we do a 45-minute interview, or however long it was, with him facing forward in the van and me sitting behind him in the dark, <laughs> not looking at him. And captains logged it? And, yeah, and I assumed at some point he would at the very least like, just turn around and be like, you know what I mean? No. No. And so, we, and, and so that's happening, and the conversation itself is all about how um, in order for, for people... To get the most out of their lives, they need to transcend the categories that we push on to humanity, like good or bad. And so it's this, like, trippy thing where I'm like, are we on acid? I can't tell what <laughs> drugs we did, but we clearly did some drugs in the parking lot of this strip club in, the mi- like, just the middle of the night with no lights. It was, like, the weirdest, trippiest mm-hmm. – I mean, I was down for the content of that conversation, but it was still just the all of it together – yeah, that was a weird night. Wow. Oof. Okay, now you guys know. <laughs>
3: I don't. I don't even know what to say. it's like it sounds like a Twilight Zone episode, but then you lived. Well
0: William Shatner so wasn't there, so true. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's uh, that's probably the weirdest thing that ever, like the strangest <laughs> situation that I've ever been in professionally. I would I would assume. Wow. I'm just gonna guess. Uh, what else? There's that time I made Mike Watt cry. Wow. No, it's not that that, right. it's it, it's actually not that hard now that I <laughs> I've interviewed him a couple times and apparently he's like a really emotional dude. Yeah. Uh and we were talking about, you know, how important his music and and the DIY punk movement was on me growing up in the middle of nowhere and he was really touched to the point where he just starts to like get teary-eyed and he's like white, trying to like wipe the tears off. I was like thank you thank you brother thank you oh that means so oh. <laughs> you know and I'm like this is what the f***? He's the one that's supposed to make me cry. Of course, then I did. Oh, um, I was going to ask, what is your move there? Yeah. I guess the move is to join him. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I was like, holy shit! there's this dude who is a serious punk legend, one of the most important figures in that world, you know, and obviously in terms of his musical accomplishments, but also in terms of, like, the way that he helps, set, still to this day, set the tone yeah, yeah. for punk rock, for indie rock, whatever. He's like, uh, you know, a torchbearer that, I mean... The Stooges asked him to be in the Stooges. That just tells you all you need yeah. to know about that. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. and I'm and I'm here talking to him, and he's like, a give me the time of day, it's just <laughs> like, what the fuck? and then b engaging with me enough to be that vulnerable, to like start tearing up and be touched when I'm just telling him that I'm some random dude that he's never met before, and hey, yeah. your music was cool. That's sweet though. Yeah, no, That's it very was. Sweet. It, it was, but it was just like. That's one of those moments where, again, where you you know you step back a little and go, oh wow,
2: yeah,
0: oh yeah, you know, like when you talk to a kink. <laughs> um, I had that when uh, I had that when J- when Ben
3: Blackwell started making fun of James for the first time. <laughs> um, How long did that take? Like six seconds. Two seconds. I, yeah. No, I stepped seconds. back and I said, Ben Blackwell's giving James some business. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is another one that was like really. Intense and moving. I interviewed Femi Cootie, mm-hmm. uh, you know, son of Fela Kuti, on his tour bus once, and I have never encountered a more intense person, and I mean that in the best way possible. Like he was, you know, we were going through his whole story, we were going through, you know, a bunch of stuff about his dad, and at a certain point, he says something along the lines of, "I knew I had to do it on my own," because you know that's one of the famous things about him is he. Left his dad, mm. decided to form his own band and do his own thing. And he said, "I knew that if I failed, that I would be poor and die. Oof. But if that's how it, if that's how it had to be, then that's fine because I had to do it on my own." Right. And he just had this steely <laughs> look in his eyes, and he was making that real intense eye contact yeah. where you don't break it for the whole time. <laughs> it's just like him talking about it for like two or three minutes, yeah. like I'm trying to do with you. Yeah, no, I'm and getting it's like into real it. Real right wide now. eyed and I'm almost, braced. and I'm just like. Whoa, <laughs> whoa, I've never, I was like, I've never felt a feeling as intense as this. Wow. And it was amazing. Uh, and then you both cried and then you got pictures together. and then <laughs> Yeah, well, he wanted the picture for himself. Not true. <laughs> and then, but so, you know, there were um, like, while we were having the, the interview there, sometimes his band members were coming in and out. And thankfully, you know, for my sake, they weren't really making much noise and disturbing us. So that is good because sometimes you don't get that lucky and you have to deal with that as an interviewer. But that's neither here nor there. So Femi leaves and one of his guys comes back on. He's like, I heard you guys talking here and there. He's like, he means it. And he gave me the same steely-eyed look like. He means every word of it. I've never met someone as real (laughs) as him. I've never met someone who does it as hard as he does. I've never met someone who would go to the ends of the earth to make their dreams happen like he would, who would die for it. And I'm like, gosh! (laughs) What is, what is going on
3: here? I gotta tell you, just catching the contact tie from this eye contact is making me nervous. I'm getting vapors.
0: It was like, it was intense and I was, I like, you know, like I've had weird moments, obviously. I've had big moments in terms of like my own personal fandom. I mean, I like Femi Cootie, a lot, but he's not the kinks. Yeah, yeah. You know, but this one, that was probably the moment where it's like, that's what you do the job for, for those fleeting moments. Right. Because usually yeah. those things happen and it's like a few seconds. And the conversation's yeah. good no matter what, especially when you edit out all the bad stuff where, made, <laughs> where you fuck up. Uh, but, not you guys, but... Oh, no, you, James. No, we f- up all the time. James and I do that all the time, yeah. The royal you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... You know, you you find those moments and they're fleeting, and that was one where it just really felt like an hour of that. I sat down, and it was an intense, soul-bearing conversation that didn't let up the entire time. And I just... I feel like the the
3: first thought that would go through my mind after something like that would be like, well, I guess I'm cooking dreams for dinner and not tacos. (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, what... I have a family, but you know I should probably follow my dreams.
0: Yeah, no, it was exactly it was exactly like that. I mean, actually, I was like, can I learn how to play the saxophone in case you need a backup? Like, because it was the kind of thing where you realize why people join cults. Yeah, because. There are people out there who can do that and make you feel that way. The good thing is that he is real. Right. Like, he's serious and real and earnest about it. But it's, like, it is that... And, like, I just want to, like... At my job and follow you around and maybe be a backup dancer. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I can't really play any instruments. Uh, I mean, I, I can sing, but that's like not that good. And, you know, mostly just high school musicals. So uh, I, don't, I don't know. You I know, mean, I'm like, I just want to give up my dreams and go chase your dreams. Right. Uh, it was, yeah, that was intense. So those are some stories. Well, speaking of cults, third band records. Oh, yes. <laughs> Bringing it back around. That was a good, as we say in the business, Seg. Thank you. Thank Very you. good seg. Thank you. Oh, oh, I got nothing but seg over here. Uh, so, Striped,
3: we have the background. You've had some weird experiences at strip clubs. You're making eye contact in tour vans. To be clear,
0: one weird experience yes. at a strip club. Well, I'll, Just for reference. We'll
3: take your word for that. Uh, uh, but Striped comes along. How do those discussions begin? It sounds like Blackwell was, was heavily involved in sort of the skeletal structure of the thing, maybe working in tandem with you. Uh, give us a little bit of background about how it came about.
0: Yeah, so I was I worked at Discogs for a little while, Discogs being the, the largest music site in the world. I'm assuming you guys I know love what Discogs. it is. Yeah, We oh, get yeah. so
3: much information
0: from Discogs. Yeah, the weird thing is no matter how big of a music fan somebody is, I have found that it's about a 50-50 chance as to whether or not they've heard of Discogs before. <laughs> They have a bet. I love their marketplace. It's so much better than
3: eBay because it's targeted, and it's people who know what to price this shit at. So I've gotten so many awesome, like, 45s and shit from Discogs. I love Discogs. Yeah. Big fan.
0: Uh, so Discogs, if you are a, a, one of the uninitiated, again, not a judgment, because it really is. It's uh, I, have, I have friends who have record collections, like, into the thousands, and I'm like, did you get this from Discogs? They're like, what's Discogs? Like, oh, okay. Wow. Uh, so it's not me. It, me mansplaining Discogs <laughs> is not to make it seem like I think everybody's stupid. Podsplaining. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, Discogs is basically eBay meets Wikipedia, but just for records. So it's a user-generated database of every record ever, and it's a vinyl fetishist mecca. Yeah. Because uh, you can get almost any record that you'd ever want there. you got to pay what it's worth. Right. But you can get it, and you can find out all the information you ever want to know, and you don't have to pay for that. Uh, <laughs> so I was working there, and, you know, obviously Third Man Records and Discogs make sense to do stuff together. So, you know, we would be in talks all the time. Didn't Blackwell interview Jack for Discogs yeah, yeah, during the boarding house? Meeting? Yeah, uh, yeah, and so that's what I mean. Like, we had done some stuff with Third Man, Yeah, and Blackwell had written some articles, Okay, yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah, did that video. And so... It's a great video. Yeah. And so, you know, when we realized, oh, it's been 20 years since the first record, yeah. you know, floated the idea of, like, why well, not to make podcasts? We should do, like, a little podcast about it. And the idea was purely do something that was celebratory about the first album. And that was, like, that was it, like a self-contained yeah. story. Mm-hmm. Not even a story, just a self-contained thing. Where yeah. It was more of an appreciation of the album, and I didn't even know what that would look like initially. And so the conversation just kept going for mo- you know, for a few months. And then I, w- I left Discogs, and Blackwell and I got serious about talking about this podcast. And it was still going to be like a one-off, smaller scale thing. And I went down and had a first recording session at the Third Man offices, and got like the lay of the You know, I was I was asking him questions in general about the year of nineteen ninety nine to get a better idea of how to talk about the album. But then as he talked, I realized, no, there's just a narrative here. Yeah. In what you're talking about. There is an actual arc. He wasn't talking about it in that way. I was just like poking around, like, what sure. about this thing? Right. What about that thing? And, you know, the story of the first season kind of unfolded itself to me in that moment, and I realized, oh, this actually needs to be something more than what we were doing. And he and I kept talking about it, and we almost had one of one of those instances where we stared at each other and then at the same exact time went, it needs to be the band's whole story. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and, and I think that third band had been trying to figure out how to preserve the the band's legacy, and this was like, oh, this is one way we can do it. Right. You know, it took on a life of its own in that sense, you know. Season two is in the works. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I can say when it's going to be out yet, partially because <laughs> I don't know when it's going to be done. Right. But, you know, we're going to keep on doing it and keep on telling the band's story because, you know, I, I realized when I found that there was a story for at least the first season, like a really clear story, you know, that, yeah, we need to tell the rest of the story. But in digging into it, what I also realized was that this has never been done before. Like, there are music podcasts about specific bands or whatever. There have been many books written about the White Stripes, but there has not been, you know, the official book or the definitive one in the last, you know, like, basically since the band broke up and their legacy has shown itself to be what it is. And so this is, like, the first time a band of that size on a podcast has, like, told its story for the first time. Because, you know, all the books that were written, it was, like, right around the time when the band was blowing up. And so... Their whole story hadn't been told, and obviously no one knew the impact that they were going to have. So this is like an opportunity to do that and talk about that. Yeah. And, you know, that's why in a few instances, like, I I don't just deal with the White Stripes. I mean, the whole first episode, I've heard some of those assholes on the internet complaining (laughs) like, oh, the first episode's not even about the White Stripes. Second episode isn't really either. Like, yeah, because you got to tell the story, not just give minute details about everything that happened to the band. Right. And... Seriously, though, like that the whole thing is, you know, I was able to pull back and tell the story of Detroit because that's part of the band's story. Just like the cliffhanger on episode five, which a lot of people might already know what that is, uh, is a big part of the band's story because it was a part of the larger culture. You know what what happened in that moment and what it meant to the White Stripes that you'll find out more about in season two isn't just about the white stripes it's about how music had functioned for the last 30 and 40 years and kind of how that was just getting ready to change yeah. and they were one of the last bands that was able to take advantage of that and to and to have that be part of their legacy and you know they the further you move on the more of that there is as culture starts to really shift i mean i don't think i'm giving anything away to say that the band you know in 2001 helped revolutionize and sort of uh, resuscitate the music video like, it it wasn't a thing people cared about as much. And then yeah. that happened. And, you know, they were one of the bands who did that. And really, if you think about that time period, how many music videos from that era can you name? Right. They right. were really cool and important and that you still think about. I am not being a homer here just because I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> like, I can't think of any besides... Fell in love with a girl and hardest button to butt. Like I, like those, those are the yeah. only two videos from that era where I really think that
3: Seven Nation two. The
0: oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, like from that time oh, period yeah, where yeah. it's yeah. like videos then started to explode and get like really yeah. more interesting, way more interesting, way more creative. It seems like bigger budgets. You have these, you know, Michelle Gondry and Spike Jones. I mean, Spike Jones, like they've been doing it for a while, but like that's when they started to do these things that yeah. like really look like and feel like masterpieces. And part of that was because of what the White Stripes did. Right. We had the pleasure to talk with Emmett Malloy,
3: who directed a lot of those Stripes videos, the later ones. Mm-hmm. And he was at the forefront of what you're describing. And, and it was nice. And I recall exactly what you're talking about. There was an air of commerciality about it. It was, it felt like uh, music videos. I was watching a lot of TRL. Oh, yes. Uh, you, you know, who wasn't? Because who wasn't? But, you know, there was. it felt very plastic. It felt very um, spoon-fed... To me, personally, and looking back especially, you look at it and you go... We talked about focus groups earlier. How many focus groups did it take to make this thing? With the White Stripes, it cut into that whole idea with an honesty. And it felt genuine. It sounded honest and it sounded relevant and urgent. Yeah. And the videos reflected that.
0: Yeah, and in a way that, you know... um, I don't wanna be rockist about this and, you know, make it about that, like pop versus rock, because I mean Prince, yeah, the same thing. You know, and he was doing top forty pop music, and I mean you could also call it rock, you could call it funky, you could call it R and B. I'd have no idea um, what to peg that guy Well, has. Yeah, but the point is it's like Pick a genre, man. It's, yeah, because I guess My the person. reason I say that is usually there's an avatar of authenticity and it's rock music when it comes to, like, making music. But all through music history, you have people making other types of music. Yeah. But they're being just as honest and raw and real and out there, you know. So it's not about that. But for a lot of people, I think it's easy to fall into that trap, especially when you're talking about what happened in the early aughts with, you know, like, the Strokes and the yeah. White Stripes. I mean, obviously... Uh, The White Stripes, uh, in my mind, are more important than The Strokes in that regard. But, you know, like you you hear people talk about all those bands, you know, know, the the Hives. The 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 Vines. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The Vines, the Hives, the Stripes, the Strokes, yeah. yeah. It's easy to make it a rock versus pop thing because the pop music that was coming out at that point was so bad. Yeah, because it was the Backstreet Boys and those early Britney Spears. Now I will I, 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 I with Toxic.
1: Toxic. <laughs> I was just
0: you plucked that out of my brain. Just but now. <laughs> but that was, earth, that was that 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 came later. Yeah, that's that, two thousand seven. Right, exactly. So I'm not again. <laughs> it's not even disparaging Britney Spears. Like I with Toxic hard Womanizer even is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. the point of that is is like you know there was just all of this yeah it was basically the music industry had figured out how to milk as much as possible right. out of the consumers in a way that made it all about efficiency and not artistry like they like it was essentially as though supply chain managers were running all of the labels and they knew how to again wrench as much efficiency yeah. in creating and marketing and manufacturing the music industry As possible. And it was pretty clear at that point that people weren't cool with that.
3: Right. It was milked directly out of Carson Daly's teats.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's...
3: Yeah, that's true. James, can you put Carson Daly's teats on the leaderboard, please? Um, Right under Tech War, I'm reminded of a great little bit from one of those CNN decade things on the music one for the 90s. They were talking about... How the process for getting a music video on TV worked in the late 80s, early 90s, and and how very much you show up with a check and it gets played, it gets put on, and how Nirvana cut through the pack because somebody just had it and was into it and was able somehow to get it in there. And then that kind of helped open the door. And then that sort of lays the groundwork for your white stripes later and your stuff like that. I feel like there's a neat line you can draw.
0: Well, and the interesting thing about that, too, is it seems like about every 10 years there's a shakeup. It yeah. gets it gets to be that way. The late 80s, early 90s, it was exactly that. It was the same thing that happened in the late 90s in the early aughts yeah. where you had this machine just running and the cogs turning and someone sticks a wrench into it and that was Nirvana. I mean, you know, other bands too, but they were the ones that blew up. And then in the aughts, it's the same thing with the White Stripes. And then, you know, in the teens, it's, I hate to say it, but it's like Mumford and Sons. Yeah, kind of. You know, because I was in, I was working in public radio at a music station. I was a DJ when those bands came in as like, oh yeah, clappy, folky, Uh, Americana bands that of course people who listen to NPR will love (laughs) but then it went beyond that and they became like the biggest band in the world for a minute you know and you, so you had bands like that changing the order but then what happens of course is you know it kind of falls by the wayside like it changes some things and then the industry calcifies around whatever those changes are and kind of gets back to the point of it just being a machine and to bring it back to somebody like Billie Eilish, it's a good example of another person, right around the same time, we're another decade in, who yep. is kind of cutting through all that bullshit. I mean, yes, she's immersed in the music industry, signed to a major label, but the way she's doing it is different than anyone has really done it before. There are elements, obviously, of of like the White Stripes or Nirvana, yeah. and there's you know a, a sort of post-punk aesthetic. Uh, Post punk meets ICP. Um, You know, it's like Ian Curtis meets Silent J. Wait, is that Silent J? Shaggy Shaggy Two Dope. I know that's. I know Shaggy Two Dope is his name. Uh, Uh, Violent J. Violent Violent J. Not Silent. I'm thinking Silent Bob. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shaggy Two Dope and Violent J. That's what's interesting about this, and that's one of the interesting things that I find about the White Stripes too, particularly because of how their influence is still lasting. Yeah. It really hit home to me when I was, I was, I live in Louisville, I was driving up to Cincinnati, it's, you know, about an hour and a half away. Greenhorn's country. Exactly, yes. In fact, it might have been when I was going to interview Johnny Walker for the podcast, I can't remember. I feel like it was more recent, but that might have been when it was. I was just flipping through channels, and I came upon the alternative rock station in Cincinnati, and the first song that was on sounded like the White Stripes. Hmm. And then the next song that came on sounded like the White Stripes. Yeah. And then the third song that came on also kind of sounded like the White Stripes. <laughs> and then the fourth song that came on, similarly, <laughs> you know, and I mean, I know that I'm immersed in the music at this point because I'm listening to the, the first record in particular a lot, but I hear it in all those songs, and they're all new songs, and none of them are the Black Keys. So that tells, like, yeah. you know, yeah. this, this is not just people who've built their career on copying the White Stripes.
1: <laughs> uh, well, we... Are-
3: for the record, we've taken a, a couple minor, let's call them, not dumps, let's call them farts. Let's call them hefty <laughs> farts on the on the Black Keys of the past. It's okay if you like the Black Keys, everybody. It's all good. Please don't write us.
0: Yes, yeah, so if you like the Black Keys, I have a new podcast coming out. It's called Keyed. <laughs> it's going to be out in June. Yeah. It's the story
3: of the Black Keys. John Cannon will personally come and key your car <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to the episode. But that structure you're talking about. Me and Paul found that it existed as well, and it was this weird revelation where all of these bands, around the same time, started, you know, you could, Charlie from Always Sunny style, like, start drawing lines on a billboard to, you know, like, oh my god, Dean Fertita and Queens of the Stone Age did this with this, and the Greenhorns over here, and and Soledad Brothers, and, and everybody's doing everything with everybody else, and all of these bands from the late 90s to early 2000s who were in the alternative rock scene or the garage rock scene or whatever you want to call it everybody's interconnected everybody's there and the white stripes are kind of in the middle of it all you know jack yeah. white's there doing it all and in, in i think you said eight bands in uh or, yeah. or ben blackwell said it in, in one of your interviews like he's he's in so many things and he's in the center of all of this kind of happening at the same time and that structure is weirdly tangible like it's something that me and paul are able to look at and go like this is a story that makes sense and you're pulling these strings together in a way that gave me that same feeling of like oh yeah there's that basket weaved that me and paul had found before was that structure there before the interviews or did you have to figure it out during the interviews
0: yes Uh, and (laughs) what i mean what i mean to say is again you know i had that first conversation with with blackwell and that kind of illuminated an overarching narrative with different specific moments that that kind of defined the year of 1999 or just the early years of the band. And, you know, beyond that, when you talk about Jack's musical maturation and, and how that kind of factors into what would later become the White Stripes, that was all kind of there. But then, especially the first episode, that was like talking to, I was talking to Steve Shaw. I was talking to Johnny Walker. And yeah. In fact, the way that that episode came together, it wasn't anything, when I say Johnny Walker and Steve Shaw and and a couple other folks, too, it wasn't anything that you hear in the episode. It was, like, after the tape was done rolling, like, just shooting the shit and talking about stuff. And, you know, like, I talked to Johnny about what he did with the MC5 and all that stuff and talked about the MC5 and was talking about Detroit in general and same thing with Steve. I actually had to go back and get a second interview with Steve to get some more, like, quotes about this and some more information because it was, at that point, like, oh, I realized that is the arc of how Detroit became a place in the nineties, not just like how the music scene became so vibrant, but how there was enough interest in Detroit in the late nineties for a band like the white stripes to be discovered. Right. Whereas in other cities, there were bands that might've been just as good that no one ever found out about because people weren't paying any attention and it had taken 30 years. But finally, because of, you know, the MC five and the stooges, the white stripes were able to break out. And the irony is, is like, it wasn't direct. It was very indirect. It was because the Stooges and the MC 5 inspired a bunch of punk bands who then inspired a bunch of alternative rock bands who went back and rediscovered the MC five and the Stooges too, because of those punk bands. And then those guys got so famous that eventually the media was aware enough and the culture was aware enough of that legacy to kind of like wonder what was going on there. But you also have Jack, who's a master
3: storyteller. Yeah. At the center of it all. And, you know, James, like you said, the White Stripes tend to be at the center of it. But more importantly, and there's nothing against Meg, but Jack tends to be at the center of this stuff. Because he is the one in all of these bands, and he is the one concocting these stories. And we've always heard him say, you know, he put gimmicks in the way to distract you from realizing that you're listening to a white kid sing the blues. (laughs) But there's a reason why people tell stories, and Jack very smartly keyed into that early on, I'm reminded of a um, we did a Brendan Benson spotlight, and one of the interviews that you conducted with Brendan on the show actually contradicted a little bit, so I was curious about that. But we had heard or we had read in, in a different interview that he saw that gimmick, that white stripe sort of aesthetic originally, and questioned it. As anyone should have, that shouldn't <laughs> have worked. But it did because he was committed to the bit. Right. You know, and he believed it with all his heart. And if you believe in that story, you know, you can sell people on it. You have to have the chops to back it up. Well, he he,
0: well yeah, and that goes back to that uh, the interview that I did with Brendan where he's talking about how seeing him on stage that first time, he's like, I believed it. Yeah. <laughs> like... I thought he was gonna fucking die. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is he says during the know, solo, like, yeah, I remember. He's it. like, yeah. I believe it, and it's like that goes hand in hand with the whole thing. Because if you you can't believe half the truth, you got to believe the whole truth, whatever your truth is. Always read the comment section. Eh. That's the whole truth. <laughs> it's, yeah, half of them are ugly. That's true. <laughs> so, but it's it's that kind of a thing, and and it is that singular commitment. When I look at his career from the White Stripes and beyond and, you know, with Third Man and and him and Ben and Ben is like, it's a drive that you rarely ever see. And it yeah. also goes back to, I think this was before we started rolling, talking about Meet Me in the Bathroom right, in that right. book, you know. I think it's Craig Finn that says, you could tell that the White Stripes had a plan. Is basically, like, none of these other bands yeah. had a plan. But the White Stripes did. And I don't know that it was a plan in the sense that they... I mean, it could have been, again, I don't know, but that it was a plan like this step, then this step, then this step, then this step, so much as it was, here's what we want to do, and we want to do this as big as we can do it, and as right as we can do it, yeah, and as real as we can do it, and there's nothing that's going to get in the way of that, and... That is a thing you very rarely see. I mean, especially when you're talking about the bands that become the biggest bands in the world. Yeah. You know, those bands that have that influence. Nirvana, great example, because Kurt Cobain didn't, like specifically didn't want that and just accidentally stepped into it. Not that he didn't want his music to get out there to more people, but he was very uncomfortable with the idea of being out there and doing that and pushing that far and pushing as hard as you can push. Right. I mean, the entire punk movement in the 70s was, like, similar to that. Yeah. I mean, not that those bands didn't want to be famous either, but again, it's that thing where it's like, eh. It's a hallmark of a good leader to not
3: want to. Right. Yeah. When you're grinding against the mainstream for so long, it's, you know, it's an odd feeling when you're a part of it suddenly. But, like, yeah, everybody kind of wants that a little bit, but at the same time, yeah, it's the, the whole punk movement in the 70s and Kurt's movement is, you know... I'm
0: railing against you, stop embracing me. (laughs) Right, (laughs) But that's the thing, is is just seeing someone with that level of commitment and that level of vision is just, it's a, like, it's... And then to have songwriting chops on top of that. Yeah. Like, that's what I mean. It's like, you know, Malcolm McLaren had vision, the Sex Pistols didn't. Yeah. He did, and it's like that. It's like if Malcolm McLaren and Richard Hell and... Dave Davies (laughs) were one person or something like that. You know, you have the vision, the authenticity, and the chops. And, like, it's a weird combination of things that you just don't see. Like, you just don't see it very often.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's why, like, 20 years after the band started, like I said, there are people writing songs that sound like the White Stripes. Yeah. That really did blow my mind. Because if you look at it and think about it, now that I brought it up again, in 1990... Bands didn't sound like Led Zeppelin. Right. But if you do the math, it's the same thing as bands now sounding like the White Stripes. Right. But when I hear four songs in a row with similar production, similar melodies, similar stylistic singing, similar riffs as far as like feeling like they're, you know, reject songs from White Blood Cells... <laughs> uh, but way slicker. That's a weird thing taken contextually when you realize how that relates back to prior generations of music, especially when you're talking about what actually becomes popular. Yeah. Like it's a we like it, that was, that was the moment where I was like, Jesus, this band is even more important than I thought. Like, I already knew the White Stripes were a big deal. Yeah. I mean, if for no other reason than the fact that people chant one of their songs in every single sports stadium in the world. (laughs) That alone would make them a big, big deal. Look at Queen. Yeah, they had other hits too, but it's the same thing. Like, people know Queen because of the same thing. Yeah. But then seeing all these things that I saw, like, while digging into the story and, like, having, you know, that's the, the kind of, like, antennas up because I'm so immersed in it. Realizing just how important, just how influential, just how indelible a mark they've left. Now I just feel like I'm being like I'm gonna I'm gonna like walk out of here and I'm gonna text Ben Blackwell and be like Venmo me four thousand dollars for talking so nice three <laughs> thousand <3, 000. laughs> yeah, yeah right. Um, but it's like it's genuine and and again I was a fan of the band before yeah And I knew they were a big deal before but. I never would have realized just how big of a deal. And, you know, I, and I think it's the same... Like, I feel like there are a lot of people, no matter how big of a fan you are, especially... In fact, sometimes especially if you're a huge fan, because what happens then is you, uh, instead of taking a macrocosmic look at things, you take a microcosmic, microscopic yeah. look at things, and so you don't actually realize that the entire forest is the forest that they planted. <laughs> kind of, yeah. You Those know. little acorns. Yeah, yeah. So it's... a. Uh, uh, you know, it was, it was, it's, this, I guess, the moral of this long, drawn out... Manifesto. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, like, the entire, you know, the entire, our, our entire conversation and all the detours is taken. The moral of the story is, like this doesn't happen very often. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. I have, in talking to other folks previously about this... Try to be a little more reserved because I don't want it to seem like I'm just a homer because I work on this podcast. Right. You know, and because it's like, well, yeah, I, I need people to think the White Stripes are more important because that helps me. Yeah. Which is true. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, the more important people think the White Stripes are, the more, the you know, the, the bigger yeah. deal the podcast can be. This and, is a safe space. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's literally a safe space. Uh, We're really in a locked is, room, yeah. but the- uh, this looks like this used to be a, a bunker, <laughs> even though it's above ground um, and in a relatively new building. This looks like this is where you used to come to duck and cover. Um, sometimes. Sometimes. I mean, I'm I'm just gonna stop belaboring the point. Well, how, how about this?
3: You want to play a game? All right. I probably again. I feel bad for saying that in this room because it feels like I might actually murder. you <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a good point. While
3: my voice, my voice is rapidly failing on me, so while it lasts, let's play a game. James, do you want to explain yes. the game to Mr. Cannon? Uh, sure. It's called, Was This Nailed to Jack's Wall? Um, not nearly as sexual as you might imagine. Uh, <laughs> we, we say a thing, and then you say whether or not this thing was nailed to uh, Jack White's wall. Or if we're making it up. That's pretty much the long and short of it all.
0: What if it ends up being something that you thought you made up, but it's actually (laughs) true? Okay.
3: See, therein lies the rub, because if somebody were to call us out on that, they would be either Jack White or Ben Blackwell. And uh, then we'd know they're listening to us, (laughs) and uh, we got them. All right. So we should preface this with we think.
0: I'm just saying, (laughs) because... You know, you never you never know.
3: I based this on things I saw in videos on his wall, specifically the wall. And I based this game around the interview conducted with Wendy Case, <laughs> where she very funnily describes the, the instance where she got into a car accident and lost the bumper on her car due to it, and later found out that Jack had nailed the bumper to his wall, <laughs> which... <laughs> Was, hands down, my favorite moment of the whole show.
0: Oh, oh yeah, of, of all the... it's it, For me, it's a toss-up of all those, like, um, post-credit stories. It is a toss-up between that and Johnny Walker's oh, yeah. story about oh, Jack it's so good. in the Uncle Sam costume. Uncle Sam. But I think hers takes the cake it's for good. me, too.
3: <laughs> Can I just say, that Uncle Sam costume winds up on White Stripes posters and... It's the best.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: and really quick, before I, we keep detouring. We, we, we're like bumper cars here. We did a trivia game show with uh, other fans. We brought them on and we did a Family Feud style game show. And one of the trivia questions was what I, I read. I read this in a book that Johnny Walker said at one point that he was invited to join the White Stripes. And the book made a point to call out the fact that Ben Blackwell was sitting in the room at the time crying out bullshit as loud as he could. So when I heard that in your podcast, I was thrilled that A, that was real, and B, we weren't just spreading lies.
0: Well, well. so actually, I, I did that interview with Johnny, and then immediately I texted Blackwell. I'm like, hey, he said this. He's like, yeah, it's in a book. I'm like, okay.
3: I'm
0: like, okay, okay. okay.
3: This is very funny to me. I love this. Alright, so Jay, we're, gonna, we're gonna start this game here Again, you have to say if we're lying If we made it up Or if this was actually nailed to Jack White's wall Three $1 bills Fixed in the center By some loose nails That
0: seems so weirdly specific That I I'm, it, feels made, it feels like that weird Specificity of something that's made up You're right. Okay, that's fake. Okay, that's a fake one. (laughs) All right. Well, you're doing good. All right. Well, we're only one in. (laughs) It's easy to bat a thousand on the first bat on the first. That's him. (laughs) Okay.
3: Several framed magazine pages spotlighting Preston Tucker designed cars.
0: Ooh. Ooh. Hmm. Ah, that one is tough. Because I mean, I know. Mm. This is where we find out if I have a tell. <laughs> now he's just waving his arms up and you can't see. He so put on the said- ape
3: mask from earlier. <laughs> yes.
0: He's belly dancing with an ape mask. All right. Uh, I'm going to say that's real.
3: You are correct. Two for oh, two. Yeah. You're
0: good at this. I just I like that one Knowing what I know about the appreciation for the Tucker automobile. Yeah. Uh, and if you guys listen to the bonus episodes, you probably heard the bit where Blackwell talks about how there actually was one of those in a warehouse like two blocks away from yeah. uh, from Jim Diamond's studio, which is just bonkers. A series of
3: World War
0: One era
3: army helmets spray painted red and white.
0: Oh man, that one's like a, that one's like, I, I'm literally doing the same eye movement every time. (laughs) There's no, there is, that one is one that just for me, there's no divining it. There's no like, there's no logic behind whether or not it's real, you know? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say no. You can see the reflection in my glasses, can't you? Am I right? Yes, you are right. You're right. You're right. This is like okay.
3: the beginning of Ghostbusters here. I feel like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> like except I'm getting them right. <laughs> and you're not getting electroshocked. You're not just drugs. trying to make out with me after. <laughs> not that we can't and Man. just like,
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well look, the interview's is going weird direction. It's weird because I keep getting electroshocked. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find a strip club. I'll sit behind. It'll be great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> ah, flipping the script on me. All right.
3: As long as it's some kind of rustic woodland creature. <laughs> now you're gonna be looking
0: at my glasses. I'm not even gonna look at it. All right. I really can't uh, see. I all don't All right, all right, can't. all right.
3: All right. A massive taxidermy deer mounted at wall middle so as to leave room for the antlers which reached all the way up to the ceiling.
0: Now I know I said one was fake because of the weird specificity, but that sounds real because of the weird specificity. <laughs> like the detail is not for no reason. The detail doesn't exist for nothing. It exists to tell you why. I'm gonna say yes.
3: Fair enough. You got it correct. You are you are four for four. This is a disaster, James. you <laughs> have done bad. Paulie's done bad.
0: Says you. <laughs> to be clear, most of these are still guesses. Johnny Walker's actual birth certificate. That one sounds real. Fake. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the one that sounded so. Out- that sounds so outlandish that I'm like. That's dumb Of course it has to be real I did the dumb
3: one I'm going to text Johnny tonight and see if that's real
0: <laughs> Yeah see that's the one you guys just might not have known about <laughs> Exactly
3: He's like no actually it was my social security card um,
0: Wow Whoa That's a really good Johnny Walker impression
3: <laughs> Thank you Did I mention we talked for an hour about wasps <laughs> <laughs> All right, one of those red and yellow play school cars for toddlers.
0: I'm gonna say that's a no because it's yellow. No, it was up. That, there. Is oh, I, I
3: that is a real one.
0: It was up there in the video See, I saw. You guys were like, "Oh yeah, you're doing a so good." Show. <laughs> <laughs> All
3: right, a Union Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep, You're right. That was up That there. is correct. Behind Meg's drum kit. Weird. Because he had a, a whole American flag motif for a long time. Um, I mean, after we're done, I'll tell you where I pulled all these from. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> right down from Jack's wall. Paul snuck in. <laughs> <stole them all. laughs> okay. Uh, a white bridal veil with red paint splattered on it.
0: Okay. A white bridal veil with red paint. Yes. Fake! Ah!
1: That's a fake.
3: <laughs> um, all right, no, this is the last one. And I've been keeping score. I haven't been keeping score. <laughs> a taxidermied antelope head.
0: Is that what Johnny Walker left in Jack's house? Because I... Can't remember the details of that because <laughs> it's that is part of the story in the post credit uh, bit from Johnny Walker, where he has a taxidermied blank and lays it on Jack's couch, and later Jack finds out that it was yes. That is correct. Is that is that was, was I right about the whole thing? Yeah, it was, was correct. It that uh, antelope I head?
3: believe it was a taxidermy goat head in the Johnny Walker one. Okay, all right. Okay, maybe I just thought it was a goat or an antelope. Okay, so here's where I got these from. Um, the uh, wonderful uh, Dan John Miller played Arthur Dottweiler in the two-parter where he plays their manager. That's okay. all set in Jack's house, and so I was sitting freeze framing. <laughs> What is that back there? That's a f***ing deer on that wall. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. That is, I mean, I was playing along for the most part (laughs) with Sean here. It's fantastic. Uh, So there's a great bonus episode where Ben Blackwell goes through and and tells the tale of every one of her, at least most of the songs on the first album. Uh, And we both found it super interesting that Jimmy the Exploder specifically uh, well, for example, I guess, uh, is literally just a straightforward song about a monkey blowing up anything that isn't the color red on a bed. We, Me and Paul had pegged it for a song about sex, and uh, we were wrong. Was there a story told in any of the interviews that uh, you yourself found surprising or particularly revelatory?
0: I mean, there were there were so many that it's really hard to pinpoint one. I'd say that Johnny Walker thing probably... Threw me for a loop. <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously it did I because I I mentioned that part. But I I I feel like that one was interesting. The stories that really got me the most were every one that I heard, where it was like if just the coin flipped on heads instead of tails, yeah, none of this would have ever happened. Because again, you know, like I said, there are bands in other cities that might have been just as good as the White Stripes. It's just. They got the tail instead of the head, or vice versa, and it just doesn't happen. And so yeah. that's what was amazing to me. And, and you know, I don't mean that to take away, because obviously I've been very clear that I think that they're an amazing band, but it's just like, if one one weird thing doesn't happen, if Deb Pastor's list of 25 yeah. bands that Bob Nastanovich gave her, if just one was desperate enough to be like, Deb, this is stupid that you're asking me to do this, but... Yeah, okay.
3: (laughs) That's the one I was thinking of when you said
0: that. I was thinking of that story. Uh, And she, she, by the way, bless her heart, Deb is amazing. She dug and dug and dug through her records, because she keeps meticulous records. I saw the pictures. Looking for that list. Yeah. And could not find it. And it might have still been in there, but, I mean, it was faxed to her 20 years ago. And so it could be a debt, you know, like the ink could disappear, rubbed off, because it's just a fax... So it could have been in there, but I was so sad that I couldn't see what bands... G- ultimately, what bands gave the White Stripes an opportunity. Yeah. Because, you know, they were already like starting to pick up steam, but the pavement thing... Especially when you're talking about like trying to find somebody to book a tour out west, yeah. or you know talking about other bands that may or may not take them on tour in season two. Not like <laughs> not like there's no way to find out right. what these things are, <laughs> but like that's the one that is is a big deal. But there's there there were so many other little ones like that, but yeah, that was the big one because so many things had to go right. exactly right. For that, not just that, but it's like, well, what if they had given her a little more warning, right? And she'd been able to find somebody else, or what if Jason Karcoutis, who gives her the list of five bands, what if he f- happened to hear a record that he liked a little bit more, right? Because it's not like he gave her that one and said, "This is the one." He just said he liked it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who knows? Or you know? Or what if sympathy for the record industry's spotty distribution was even <laughs> spottier? <laughs> In, in the area there. Uh, have you watched the um, Treasures of Long Gone John? I have not. I've been meaning to it's get really to good. it.
3: It's really good. Sidebar, when we interviewed Jim Diamond, he posted it to his Facebook, and f***ing Long Gone started commenting, and I may have been, let's call it, thirsty. I was like, hey, Long Gone, can we talk? I would love to f***ing talk to you, you playful criminal you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and that comment thread died then and there. <laughs> oh man, that is something. Anyway, sorry.
3: That story stood out to me. So many stories stood out to me.
0: Well, yeah, so you yeah, so you guys are fans. We got the payment thing, but what was the thing that was like a revelation that made you really genuinely like stop for a second and go, "Huh?" Cuz honestly, again, you know, most of these stories are stories that I think that the people who've read every single one of the books. Yeah probably mostly no but even i've talked to a couple of folks who are like yeah i've read all the books and all this and that but there were still things in here that i didn't know and i'm not gonna read like what is it seven books yeah (laughs) no i i think
3: for me and i'm sure i'll think of more later but uh and while i'm driving home i'll scream out ah it was the pavement tour that was the big one and i love the fact that they paid the stripes more retroactively that was sweet I was particularly captivated at just how involved Brendan Benson was in those formative years because James and I, again, we've done a lot of deep digging into these things. And it wasn't until listening to your show that I got a clear painted picture of the lineage of Brendan arrives back in Detroit mm. and then becomes friends with Jack and then really it is fairly regular right up until the and tours and obviously including the Reckoning tours but I had no idea it was that regular yeah. like Brandon Benson's solos opening up for different it's uh that was that was revelatory to me because getting into the white stripes and then following Jack's career into the Reckoning tours and the Dead Weather and solo and stuff for us it was always like oh Brendan enters the act here in 2006 right. but it was so much in those early years and we knew that Stuff to an extent, but it was interesting hearing it all together and sewn together the way you did in the way you crafted that narrative. And I, I found it to be very interesting. I was on the edge of my seat and I knew half the was like, really? <laughs> 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 well, it has to be uh, Jack White having a poor diet and, uh, yeah. and Blackwell having a poor diet. Uh, the fact that they hadn't eaten a tomato or lettuce or whatever was probably my favorite thing I've ever learned.
0: That was another one of those where I texted Blackwell immediately after the interview. Like, Brendan just told me that you didn't have a tomato until you were 17. And that's when he said, he's like, yeah, that's true. And just for the record, I also had blueberries and cream there for the first time ever. It was unlike, whatever the quote is I said in the episode, it is exactly what he texted me. I
2: love It's
3: so bizarre. It's so bizarre to me because I'm like, they live in a Polish household. They have to
0: be eating stuffed cabbage constantly. Like... I mean, I I think of it as, like, the, it's, the, it's that kind of family similar to mine. Like, my mom owned a restaurant growing up, so she cooked a lot of things. But had she not, honestly, knowing her and my dad, we probably would... It would have been the same kind of a thing where it's, like, you just get whatever half-made stuff comes out of, like, you know, out of the freezer right. at the grocery store. Yeah. And then the rest of it is supplemented by like fast food or whatever is the cheapest thing you can buy. Uh, so, like, part of me gets it, but then also I'm like, tomato?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man.
0: Sorry, Ben. <laughs> oh, Ben, we love you. I think he knows it, though, because yeah. he, yeah. that Yeah, that was a good one. Um, you know, the other thing for me I think that was really interesting to learn, obviously I knew that a lot of the folks that are involved in Third Man now have a history With the band, but what was really interesting is to see how, still to this day, close-knit a lot of folks are and how, you know, they're in regular communication. Yeah. And how, you know, a lot of times people like that, it's like, once you get to a certain point, you just shed all of your friends because you got more important things to deal with. Or it's like, oh, you don't want people asking for handouts or this, that, or the other or whatever. Or... If all the friends stick together, it's so you can insulate yourself from the real world. But this is not that. This is like people who were friends, who had meaningful, lasting relationships, who are still participating in those meaningful, lasting relationships. And that is a rare thing when you're talking, especially when you're talking about music scenes. Because, I mean, one successful record usually completely tears apart a music scene. (laughs) You know, like in any city. Right. And then those relationships are done. I've seen it happen so many times in so many cities. And just to see that familial nature, like still exist in that way. I mean, obviously everybody's a little older, so it's not like they're all sitting front row in all the shows. <laughs> yeah. Me and Paul
3: often call it a family, you know, the third man family, for that very reason, you know, everybody who gets involved with, you know, the white stripes or the dead weather or the rack and tours or whatever, you know, even just third man records finds themselves in this orbit of people who are constantly talking to each other and saying, good job, and giving each other pointers or helping in records. You know, Third Man Records had their 10-year anniversary the last year. And at that, you had acts from throughout Jack White's career who have just been there Throughout it all, you had Dr. Walker with the Soledad Brothers. You had the Detroit Copras were there. You had you know newer acts with Lily May, and you had like Margot Price was DJ. You had all of these people throughout the career of Jack, who he's just made friends with, and they want to stick around. They want to be involved somehow, and they're talking to each other. It's you're right. It's it's a different thing than most musical. I don't know the word I'm looking for exactly, but, you know, in music, it's a cutthroat business sometimes, and so people will lose a lot of friends, and, and I think Jack has, you know, made a lot of friends, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, not that I didn't know that before, but, like, when the first time I talked to Deb, Pastor, sort of a peripheral figure in the story, she just had, like, so many nice things to say and was just so complimentary about everybody involved and was, you know, excited to, like, talk to me and Ben about discovering, you know... Like, she just sent us picture after picture after picture of stuff that she found in her archives, and she was just, like, so happy to be able to share that with us because, you know, she was still a part of the family, even though it's not like she was instrumental in the White Stripes career for years, and, I mean, they knew each other for a long time after that, but it's not like she was a linchpin in their team for a long time. She was a person who they liked who was still family because they liked her because she's because she was a good person right like she i got deb love deb she even sent me some pavement magnets oh nice they came from that tour well we'll
3: leave we'll leave it on the very sweet note of uh of the of of family and of togetherness and of you joining us here on the podcast thank you so much sean when we heard there was an official white stripes podcast come out James and I, after we got back from therapy, uh, we uh, <laughs> we were excited, and, and especially hearing the first season, knew immediately it was in good hands. And oh. so thank you very much uh, for doing what you're doing. It's great. Thanks to the people at Third Man and, and uh, Ben Blackwell. Uh, you can take part of the credit, too, if you want, if you must. Uh, but thank <laughs> you, Sean. It was, uh, it was a real pleasure talking to you today, and I'm going to do this. This is the first time i ever able to do this. Shake your hand after an interview.
0: Here, wait. Oh, and I'm, yep, it's wiping. I just wanted to make sure it got on the mic so you could hear the <laughs> handshake.
3: No, I appreciate it. I'm getting some of the vibe over here, you know. Uh, thank you, Sean.
0: Oh, yeah. Happy to do it, and seriously, I said this once before, I'll say it again, and then I'll shut the f- up. <laughs> uh, I'm glad that you guys enjoyed it, and I'm glad that it's actually resonating with people because... You just never know and I wanna do justice to the band's story because it's an important like I knew again, knew it before. Quadruple know it now. <laughs> triple know it now.
2: Triple there you Yeah,
0: go. I triple know it now. <laughs> and I just wanna I just wanna do it right. Yeah. So thanks guys for having me on and putting up with me and fooling me a couple of
2: times, <laughs> but not too
0: many times we are so
3: happy to have you on and uh thank you i'm gonna just throw this nickname out there it was definitely not planned and thrown in a google doc that i came up with at two in the morning one time sean the revelator um hey yeah i'll take that he wrote the book of the seven pods i uh <laughs> <laughs> i really appreciate you coming on thank you so much we love the show and uh we love you yes
0: Aww. Aww. it would have also been easy just to call me canon and just say that it's yeah. after the song on the record yeah, low-hanging fruit though. but I like I like <laughs> Sean I'm gonna take that I'm Sean the revelator <laughs> all right
3: yeah all right James, uh, James what do you say we uh, we head back to the end of the show here let's head back to the comfy end of the show James, and we had a great time in this interview. We'd like to thank Sean Cannon for joining us today on the show. This was really cool. We were really happy that we were able to get a uh, crossover brewing between the two podcasts. You know, the two warring factions making peace, playing uh, football in the middle of the field there. Yeah. Sure. That's what the you know they did during World War I. Everybody, if you haven't checked out Striped, the story of the White Stripes podcast, You should definitely do so, and, well, we told you to do it at the top, so if you didn't do it already, I mean, I don't know how to help you. Who's that podcasting, (laughs) Sean the Revelator? (laughs) Um, And you know what's fun is the timing of this podcast, I assume, was not by accident to coincide with the release of the latest Third Man Records vault package, the White Stripes self-titled album vault package and it's actually really cool because they talk about some shows that are in the vault on the podcast so you can listen to the podcast you could hear the story of what happened during that show and all the little banter and things are explained and put into context in a way that i found to be actually very interesting and there was a pretty direct reference big reference to the show that appears on the dvd Mm -hmm. and uh you know We'll tease you with what that story was, but that story was apparently that the White Stripes are rumored to have to be broken up. And that night could have gone either way. And then very last minute, they show up. And that's why on the DVD you hear... They say it's not the last show. Yeah, yeah. By the way, this is not the last show. We'll keep rocking and rolling as long as you'll let us, Mm -hmm. was the quote. So anyway, tidbits like that and more galore... Check this show out. Seriously, it was a lot of fun. I had a really great time going through it. And we'd like to thank Sean for all that hard work he put into the show. Speaking of thanks, James, we have some people we'd like to thank. We'd like to thank our Patreon patrons, people who help support our show via our Patreon page. We have Luke Sinclair. Luke me over closely. We have Josh Aiken or Joe Shaken all over. Melinda Taylor. Melinda Taylor. Lord, send me an angel down. Julia Hickling. $3 hat mig. I don't... I don't know where that came. Did she do that one? No, nah, I made it up and texted it to y'all, and then she was like, I like that one, and use that one instead. All right. You tested it out in the room. I like it. Cat, Stu Driver, we have Kate McCoy, the Bones of the Operation. She really needs a better one. We'll work on that one. Um, uh, the bo- mm, All right. Hold on. K- Kate... Eight. Hateful? nope. It's not true at all. I want to be the McCoy. McCoy to warm your no, heart. I already, already have that one. McCoy's best friend is the same. No. Kate. 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 <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that one. Brenda Englehart. I want to be the boy to warm your angle heart. We have Vivette Wilkins, welcome Wilkin on sunshine. We like to thank all those people. If you would like to help support the show, keep the lights on, etc., you can send money to our Patreon page. Oh, we forgot to thank Tam Davis. Thanks, Tam, our third person spirit every week. Thank you, Tam. Anyway, if you'd like to do that, there's an ad at the end of the show. I'll tell you how to do it. But uh, you head over to Patreon, you can chip in a few bucks, whatever you can afford. Be nice you know? And if you'd like to interact with us, you can do so by going on Facebook at facebook.com slash third men. You can tweet at us on Twitter at third cast. You can tumble down with us on our Tumblr page. That's thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com dot com. You can press our words over at the dot dot wordpress.com. You can email us uh, corrections to anything we got factually incorrect as well as facts you want us to smell in our in our segment. I think a smell of fact or whatever. You could just say, hey, you can email that to thirdmenpodcast podcast at gmail.com you can pip on down to pippa and uh i guess that's now a cast so you can a cast on down to a cast this doesn't have the same ring how about it. you have can f- a casturbate you can pip on down to pippa which is where we host our show that's pippa you can search the third men on there, they're wonderful. I love them. You can also find us on YouTube. That's youtube.com/slash/c/slash/the-third-man-podcast. The C was they uh, apparently very important to Google to put in that URL. They needed that C <laughs> in there. Uh, I demanded that they take it away, and they said no. It's very it's vital. I, I, so I you know whatever mm-hmm. youtube.com/slash/c/slash/the-third-man-podcast. You can find some visualizers, a couple episodes. Uh, some interview snippets etc cetera, etc cetera. and please do not forget to rate review and subscribe on uh whatever podcatcher you're on but especially apple podcasts any rating uh is helpful so if you want to do that that'd be great we have a running theme of if you give us a rating that includes a pitch for our wildly unsuccessful mm-hmm. uh cartoon show featuring uh rap scallion and time traveler teen for who Travels through time and solves mysteries. Uh, if you have a television pitch for him and you write it in that review and send it to us, we will send you a signed piece of artwork depicting that very same pitch. Uh, we'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song, We're the Third Men, as well as Susanna Roundtree sitting over there for the intros and outros of our program. She did those a while ago, but they still sound nice. And I think that'll yeah, do it, James, for this crossover episode. We really crossed some new ground. We should cross these podcast streams and they it sounded great. Slimer, <laughs> <laughs> until next time, I'll, I'll be looking for a home inside of Striped, the official which is the story of the White Stripes podcast. I'm looking for a home in there, I think I might live there for a minute. Oh, fun! Uh, and I will be looking for a home. On the Joe Rogan podcast, <laughs> where I can talk about HGH and the flat earth ball. Well, bye. <laughs> bye.
1: For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com
0: or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search the third men on Facebook. See you next time. We're the third
3: Oh, James, just because we'll be communicating with you over the phone for the interview does not mean we had to phone this in. (laughs) That's not how that works. And I will be looking for a home. Inside Oh no, I thought that was good. Inside of a cannon. Mm. Welcome to the although wavelengths can be viewed through the eyes.
0: You guys getting my beard in there? Yes. (laughs) No, we're good. It's exquisite.
3: Are you using oil? Yours is better now? As we do secret origin episodes like you And that's with, the bit we're going with, huh? Yep. Uh, with uh, Brendan Benson. Are we fighting? I watched... I'm going to get rid of all that. I watched 1917. <laughs> oh, is it good? That's I very sad. Cool. Oh, it's very sad. Yeah. I mean, everybody dies. Joe yeah. Rogan does show up as a... Oh, as he a gets German. all of gives them all human growth hormone. What is it? What, James, what is this f- episode? Alright.
0: As real as it feels in this, in, in this, this, uh, weird Let's call it a sweat bunker. lodge. Yes. <laughs> okay, mur- murder lodge. Yeah, in this weird murder bunker that we are in. <laughs> um...
3: Boy, that was a f***ing weird one. I'll try and make something out of that.
0: <laughs> one other crazy story is I made some notes. Let me see here. I didn't actually put that in my notes. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> about that one altogether. Uh, so there you go. Oh, yeah. Right, 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 right. right. So,
3: anyway... Help,
2: help. How many
3: times in the show do you think we're going to make a reference to the song Canon? Mm. I'm shocked we hadn't yet, because I was thinking that was one of the ideas for Bits that was percolating. And in the in the middle of Canon, it could be Sean the Revelator. That's not bad. Are you saying we're giving him a nickname?
1: I mean, but sure. <laughs> Man
3: be with me man show joe rogan taking it back bringing it around bringing it around where is this happening That other time when we were on the Joe Rogan podcast, oh
2: yes, was. Yeah. yeah,
3: right. And he was he was trying to get us to smoke weed and tell us all about the uh, the flat Earth. He's a very uh, mar- he's like a
2: maroon in the face. He's a maroon. <laughs> he's
3: kind of like a he's like a maroon, right? Very successful. Yeah, I maroon. think his whole I think his whole deal is that he loves human growth hormone mm-hmm. and did we lose it did we lose the touch did we lose the match? hey good news great news in fact we never had it oh
1: cool let's <laughs> go back to our song
3: Hey, everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process. And we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough. But, if you would like to help us out that would be amazing all right it's all from me remember you can head to patreon.com slash third men podcast and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already all right everybody i'll see you on the show
0: And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles
3: every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever
0: you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show.